Good morning, everybody. Would you stand with us, please, as we worship the Lord this morning in song, anticipating great and mighty things from our Lord this morning.
God is good this morning, isn't he? Yes? He is wonderful. He is great. He is here with us. He is worshiping and loving to hear our praises. That's what we're going to do this morning.
praying this morning, as we continue this morning, just thinking about the cross and what Jesus did for us all those years ago on the cross, coming before him and just worshiping the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. That's where we want you to go today because God is here with us. Maybe just close your eyes for a few moments and just let it soak into your soul. Not just the music, but that God is who he says he is, the great I am, the wonderful counselor, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He loves you. He loves me.
we just thank you so much for the love that you have bestowed upon us, Lord. So unselfishly giving of yourself, Lord, on the cross so that we could have such a relationship with you, Lord. And so today we do bow ourselves before you, Lord, in humble adoration, for you are worthy of all of our praise. God, you are God alone. There is none greater than you. There is none before you. There is none after you. You are eternal. And we thank you so much for never changing the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You are the rock that we can stand on. And we praise your name because you are worthy. You are worthy of our praise, Lord God. Would you just take a few moments and just praise God this morning? Silently, out loud. Whatever your soul is stirring in you, just give praises to God this morning because he is worthy of all of our praise.
so good to see everybody today in the Lord's house. Are you a little cold today? It's warm in here. Please reach in the book rack right there in front of you and pull out that little black folder that I ask you to pull out each week. And if you'll put your name on that and give it to somebody sitting near you, uh, we will appreciate that today. I know that uh, you're probably wondering, uh, you know, this is the last uh, Sunday of January. Did we make our Christmas missions goal? And uh, I think we have that back there in the back, don't we? Yeah, we did. Uh, yeah. we, uh, last week, uh, it kind of inched over the top. I think it's about $500 above that, that number right now. But uh, don't let that discourage you if you haven't turned your Christmas offering in yet because sometimes people wait until the, you know, the end of this month, actually the beginning of February to do that. And uh, just make sure you designate it so that we can keep it separate and we'll put it in our mission fund. The mission fund is what we use throughout the year to help meet particular needs uh, that people might have, you know, kind of an emergency thing that comes up that we're able to help them with. So uh, just because we've reached the goal as of today, don't let that discourage you. Just uh, do what you were going to do or, and uh, put that in the fund, and we'll, we'll go on there and see how far we can go over the goal. Uh, this will be the last Sunday of uh, really... Uh, say much about our Bible reading schedule which is available out there in the foyer of the church. Uh, if you didn't pick one up, please do today. You can catch up on your Bible reading. Uh, I was using this this morning. Uh, I was listening on my iPad uh, to, uh, to the Bible and uh, after I listened to a number of chapters I found this little book and I, I checked them off and uh, so it kind of keeps me on track and so that's what it's designed to do. You can set a goal to read the Bible in one year, and if you follow this plan, you'll be able to do that, but you don't have to do that. Uh, maybe you just read half of it or whatever. At least you know where you're going. This is your guide. When you open it up, you'll, you'll remember where you've stopped and where you're su supposed to start. So please pick up one uh, out in the foyer. All right, let's stand together, please, as our ushers come this morning, and we'll receive our morning offering together. We thank you every week for your faithfulness. Uh, it's uh, especially important now in these uh, tough winter months uh, for you and for me to be faithful to God in our giving uh, because the expenses are just skyrocket for us up here on the hill at, at wintertime. So thank you in advance for what you're going to do. Dear Lord, we uh, thank you so much for your love and how you provide for us. You've given us a means of income, a job, a place to go to work, with our minds, with our hands, and you protected us, Lord, and we thank you for that. And now we come to bring back to the church a portion of our income so that we can see the work of the Lord flourish here in, in this ministry. We pray that you'll bless each gift and each giver. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated.
Let's open our Bibles today, please, to the book of John in the New Testament, the book of John, chapter 10. Thank you. I'd like to talk to you this morning about the shepherd and his sheep. If you ever get a chance to go to Israel, you'll see uh, plenty of sheep and shepherds to satisfy your curiosity about uh, the stories of the Bible. We're talking these days about the I am statements of Jesus in the book of John. And here in chapter 10, we have two more of them. And so in verse number one, it says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. And he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. Jesus used this illustration but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. The Pharisees at this particular time were having trouble understanding why the people wouldn't listen to them. Uh, Jesus said, Here's the reason why the people won't listen to you. You are a thief and you are a robber. All who ever come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus takes this pastoral story and transforms it over into a spiritual reality. And he's talking about our salvation. And uh, he said, this whole story is to be related to your soul salvation. Verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now, I just mentioned to you that he's referring to the Pharisees. And so this is getting, I think they're getting a little bit hot under the collar right now. The thief does not come except to steal, and to kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. And here's the next I am statement right here. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And Jesus here in the next passage begins to uh, differentiate him, the, good sh the real shepherds from the false shepherds. And he calls the false shepherds people who work for money, but a hireling, somebody who is hired. He who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. You know, there are some people who claim to be shepherds that don't care about sheep. They just care about themselves. That's it. And so that's what Jesus is referring to right here. In verse number 14, 
Uh, the scripture says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. As the Father knows me, uh, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. And Jesus here is painting the picture of the future one day, out there in the future. Uh, one day in the future, there's just going to be only one shepherd. People will follow that shepherd. Uh, Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. This commandment I have received of my father. We've been talking to you these days about the I am statements of Jesus in the Bible. Remember when Jesus kept using repeatedly in the book of John, I am, I know that you're becoming more of aware of it now since we've been talking about it. Uh, he was referring to uh, who he was. He was, uh, he was the I am of the Old Testament. Remember in Exodus chapter 3, Moses was getting ready to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he went to God and he said, now I know when I approach my people, they're going to ask me who you are. And I want to know what your name is. And God says, listen, uh, I want you to tell them my name is I am. Uh, it's I am. Just tell them I am sent you. And after he mentioned that, uh, he, he mentions this name of God, which is Yahweh, I am. Uh, some 6,800 times in the Old Testament, it's the most important name of God. It means he is the self-existent one. You know, you and I have to have a lot of support in life to make it in life. We, have, we depend on somebody for this. We depend on somebody for that. We depend upon somebody for this. God doesn't depend upon anyone. He is self-existent. He is the great I am. And so when Jesus came uh, preaching and the words are recorded in the book of John, uh, he kept referring to this 23 times, I am, and the people picked up on it and they said, listen, we know where, where he's going with this. He is identifying himself with God the Father in the Old Testament. And this went over like a proverbial lead balloon, that Jesus would elevate himself to be the God of the Old Testament. Well, in John chapter 6, verse 35, remember we talked to you about Jesus said, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me will never hunger and never thirst. As bread is, sustains physical life, Jesus sustains our spiritual life, doesn't he? How are you and I going to be fed spiritually for the rest of the journey? Who's going to do it? Well, it's Jesus. He's the bread of life. We come to him, we sit down at the table, and we say, Lord, here I am. I'm looking for your nourishment. I'm looking for your sustenance. Jesus said, listen, come to me. You'll never hunger. You'll never thirst spiritually. You won't be looking for anyone else when you have me. In John chapter 8, verse 12, we talked to you about Jesus being the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Uh, we live in a dark world, don't we? It uh, seems like it's getting darker all the time. And Jesus said, listen, I'll get you through this thing. Uh, just follow me. I'm the light. I'll 
hold the light out there for you and if you follow right beside me, behind me, somewhere near me, uh, I'll lead you through the darkness. We used to sing the old song in the church, the Lord knows the way through the wilderness and all we have to do is what? Follow. And so Jesus says that in so many different ways in the Bible. Just follow me, I'm the light. Well, uh, I was uh, looking in the New Living Translation. I like to, whenever I look at a passage of Scripture, I like to uh, find out where, where is this chronologically in the life and ministry of Jesus. Is it at the beginning of his ministry? Is it the middle of his ministry? Is it the end of his ministry? Well, in the New Living Translation, they have what they call a harmony of the Gospels. And uh, the harmony of the Gospels divides the life and ministry of Jesus into 250 events. This is event number 150 right here. The Thompson Chain Reference Bible divides the three-year ministry into three divisions. First of all, his inauguration, the year of inauguration, the first year. The second year is the year of popularity. The third year is the year of opposition. This is in the third year of our Lord's ministry right here. Uh, the year of opposition. A few weeks ago, I talked to you about what happened after Christmas from Luke chapter 2. And remember, his parents in Luke chapter 2, they brought Jesus to the temple area and they went home without him. And they left him there. And they came back and uh, he said, listen, don't you know that I'm supposed to be about my father's business? And they said, well, listen, uh, we understand that, but come on home. Come on home with us. And the very last verse in Luke chapter 2 uh, goes like this. Jesus advanced in, the fa in favor with God and man. Well, you know, uh, at this time in his ministry, he has fallen out of favor with man. Not God, of course, but with man. You know, as long as you and I are uh, kind of non-vocal, non-participants non as a Christian, people will put up put up with us. But as soon as we begin to be vocal and take a stand on particular issues of the day, uh, the favor of man kind of goes out the door. I mean, people will turn against you, and that's what they did with Jesus here. Uh, the imagery that he's trying to portray here is very common. The, the visual is sprinkled throughout the Bible. Sheep herding was a good business in that day. There, there was a great demand for uh, sacrificial sacri sacrifices. The historian Josephus, which we, who we quote a lot, says that uh, in his book, The Jewish War, that in 66 AD, there were 256,000 lambs sacrificed at Passover time alone. Just think of that. And so these people had this whole image of shepherding and sheep and in their mind and sheepfolds. But in the Old Testament, a shepherd was more than a religious leader. He was a political leader, too. People looked upon the king and the prophets both as shepherds. And Israel, the nation of Israel, prided themselves in being the flock of God. Psalm 100, verse 3 says this, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. In the Old Testament, the Lord God was the shepherd. Israel was the sheep. It was a very good arrangement. It worked well when the people followed the shepherd. 
The only problem is sometimes they didn't follow. And when you don't follow the shepherd, what, it, what happens to the sheep? The sheep get lost, right? Well, you know, the Bible makes frequent use of this analogy. Many of the great men of the Old Testament were shepherds. That was, the, that was an important business. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David. Uh, Moses and David, too, were shepherds over Israel politically, too. And some of the most famous passages in the Bible relate to this. Remember in Psalm 23, 1 says, The Lord is my what? My shepherd. I shall not want. Uh, Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way. Well, uh, not only uh, Jesus here is projecting himself as the Messiah, using these I am statements sprinkled throughout the book of John, because the Messiah was predicted under the image of a shepherd. For instance, Ezekiel, chapter 34, verse 23. Let's read this together. I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them. My servant David, he shall feed them and be their shepherd. Now this reference refers to Christ, even though it says, my servant David. And the reference here is to the greater one in David's dynasty, which is Christ. And so this prophecy is talking about Jesus being the shepherd of Israel in the future. And so let's go back now in chapter 10 and look at verse number 1. The Bible there talks about the shepherd's sheepfold. A sheepfold was an enclosure made in the fields where the sheep were collected by night to defend them from robbers. And I think this is a, probably a pretty good depiction of it right here. Uh, it could be a cave, it could be a shed, an open area like this, walls with stones and branches, sometimes as high as 8 and 10 foot high. And sometimes on the top of the wall it was lined with thorns to further uh, discourage predators and thieves. Well, the fold single entrance made it easier for a shepherd to guard his flock. There is one thing that is unique to every sheepfold, and that is that there is only one entrance. That's all. Well, in, in um, Ezekiel chapter 34, the Lord, the Lord rebukes the false shepherds of Israel. And uh, I encourage you to go home and read that. Let's look at verse number 1 of chapter 10. He who does not enter by the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. Those who enter the sheepfold another way, the wrong way. Why would anybody want to get into that sheepfold any other way than through the door? Well, he says that those who do that that way are thieves and robbers. And their goal is to steal the sheep for their own purposes. Now, remember this morning that he's talking about false religious leaders right here, Pharisees. You know, when you read about the Pharisees in the New Testament, you, you, uh, you say, oh, that's not a good thing. They thought it was a good thing, but it's not. He's talking about false religious leaders right here as thieves and robbers. Why does he use that term? Well, their goal was to steal the sheep for their own purposes, to rob them of the life that they could have had with the shepherd, who really would love them and care for them, trying to lead them. They were, you've heard people say, well, they've been led astray. Have you heard that term? You know, this person's been led astray by somebody. They're following somebody. That's what Jesus is saying right here. 
You Pharisees have led the sheep astray. You have entered the sheepfold to steal and to destroy these sheep for your own purposes. <coughs> now, the occasion of this story was the healing of the blind man in chapter 9. In order to get the whole story, you have to go back to chapter 9. Uh, Jesus healed the blind man. He was born blind from his birth. And he was all excited about it. But the Pharisees expelled the blind man from the synagogue. They abused him religiously. Uh, people should have been happy for the deliverance of the blind man. They were not. The most important one of our senses is our eyes. I remember uh, not too many months before my mother passed away, she was losing her eyesight. She may have been about 98 years old. And I would go to visit her and she would say, Johnny, I just know it's you because I know your voice. And she says, when I look up, I just see kind of like a shadow. That's all I see. She had macular degeneration. It's not a, it's not a good thing. But she had uh, good eyesight all the way up until the end. But here in chapter 9 of John, uh, there was a man born blind. And uh, the Pharisees should have been jumping up and down saying, isn't this a wonderful thing? Isn't this an awesome thing? But they actually cast him out of the synagogue. And Jesus said, listen, you are abusing the people. You are not trying to enrich the people's lives. You are trying to enrich yourself. He called them false shepherds. He's talking about the religious leaders of the day. These Jewish leaders followed a rabbi who taught their interpretations in Jewish traditions in what is called or, the oral Torah. And what is meant by that is they would take the traditions of Israel and they would pass it down from father to son, from son to son, etc., down through the generations. And they passed their traditions down and uh, later, uh, they were written down in the second century B.C. into what was called the Mishnah. You've heard that term, Mishnah. And the Mishnah was like a topical Bible. You know, we have topical Bibles today. You want to understand what the Bible says about marriage. You know, you look under marriage and you have the verses. Uh, or you look under children and you have the verses. You look under forgiveness and you have the verses. That's a topical way to approach the Bible. That's what they did with the Mishnah. Uh, their teachings were made in topical fashion. Later they had the, the Talmuds. And that was all of Jewish life. But what happened to them is their traditions and what was written in the Mishnah and in the Talmuds uh, became more important than what God said in his Bible, the Holy Scriptures. And Jesus rebuked them when he said, Why do you transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? Matthew 15, 3. Mark records Jesus challenging the Pharisees for substituting their traditions for God's commandments. Jesus said, Making the word of God of non-effect through your tradition, which you have delivered. Well, these are false shepherds. They weren't really following the teachings that God laid down. They were following their own teachings. Uh, I was uh, talking to a person just a few days ago, and they, and they were talking about where they came religiously, 
where they used to be religiously before they came to Christ. And they said, you know, I still have a little bit of that in me. And they, this particular person was explaining what part, little part they had in them. And I said, well, you know, that's fine, but you have to weigh, you have to weigh that according to the teaching of the Bible. And if it doesn't bear up under the scrutiny of the Bible, then therefore the teaching, uh, we, we can't put any validity into, into it. And this is what was happening back in that day. It's happening today. 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15 says this, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no wonder... For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. How does Satan deceive the world today? He deceives the world just like he's always been deceiving the world. He robes himself in religious garments. He comes under the guise or the disguise of religion. Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore... It is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. And so if Satan does that, his ministers do that. And, how do, and so what we have to do is we have to look at religious people today through that lens. Uh, are, they, are they really who they say they are? And Jesus here is exposing them in this passage of Scripture. And look at verse 10. Now I love verse 10 and I just wish we could like camp out there and talk a lot about that. He says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Now he's talking to these religious leaders right here. He said, you have false motives. Your motives are degrading to the sheep. You are not helping them, you are hurting them. You are trying to steal them away. You're trying to destroy what they could have, to kill them. And then he says, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. So he compares himself here and contrasts himself. Uh, verse number two, the true shepherds. Let's look at that. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Uh, this identifies the true shepherd. The true shepherd goes through the door, not over the side, uh, but through the door. And then he leads his sheep out to safety. The shepherd would call his own sheep. It's said that shepherds in the east would name each of their sheep and that each sheep would respond to the shepherd's calling of his name. You know, in our homes we have pets, we have a dog, we call him Major, or Billy, or Spotty, or something like that. And we got names for all of our pets. Well, in that day, and in that time, they had names for their sheep. And they had, like we have names for our pets today, and they would call the sheep, and the sheep would come when they heard their name called. Well, true believers, as sheep, belongs to the true shepherd, and would never follow a stranger pretending to be a shepherd. Now, there's a lot of people, and I don't want to make you paranoid. We're all paranoid anyway. There's, there's a lot of people today that are false shepherds. There really are. In fact, 
Not too long ago, a family that I know was going to a church for a while, and they finally said, they said, listen, we quit that church because we finally found out it was a cult. It was a cult. Uh, they finally discovered, and, I, and it was surprising to me that it took them so long, that uh, this was uh, a false shepherd leading them astray. Well, a true shepherd leads them out of the pen till his flock has been formed. Then he goes out into the fields and the sheep follow him. And they have an intimate relationship. The shepherd leads the way. You know, cattle can be driven, sheep must be led. You know, the church is like a sheepfold. It really is. It's a place of refuge in the world for you and for me. Uh, a place to come to be nurtured, to be cared for. And you know, in our church, I find this happening all the time. You know, when, some, when you're going through a tough time and people know you, it hurts us when you go through tough times. It really does. It really hurts us. And when you're going through a high time, we're happy for you. That's the way the sheep and the shepherd uh, scenario is supposed to work. And so the church is like a sheepfold. And we come here to listen for his voice, for his voice, all of us. You're not here just to hear somebody who's up here speaking. You're here to hear the voice of God. Uh, you're here to gauge what I say against what you know and against what the Bible says. We're here to hear the voice of God. Can I have an amen? Sure. And, and our voice is only as authoritative as we echo the Lord's voice. That's all. You know, we can kind of preach conjecture. We can preach our own philosophy. But we have no authoritative voice unless it's validated by what the Bible teaches. We are the sheep. Jesus is the shepherd. He calls them by name and he counts them too and he knows how many are his. Uh, and then he takes them out to pasture, green pastures. He feeds them in the best places. The Pharisees were spiritually blind while claiming insight. The sheepfold has a door to safety. And uh, Jesus here refers to that in verse number 7. Look at it. Jesus said, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. There is only one way into this place of safety, this secure relationship. Jesus said, I am the entrance. Now, that sounds a whole lot like John 14, 6, doesn't it? I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except they come through me. Now, now he applies it to salvation. Uh, I am the door of the sheep. Verse number 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be what? Saved. And will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus said when you come into the right door, you're coming in for salvation. You're going to be saved. And uh, the word saved is a good biblical term. term. It's been around for a long time. And what does he mean? He means that we're going to be saved from the penalty of our sin, from the power of our sin, and eventually from the presence of our sin. Well, uh, this is a good thing. Jesus said, I am the door. Then we have the next statement. Uh, in verse 15, look down there. The Father knows me, even so I am known of the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd, 
And I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. I am the good shepherd. Uh, he contrasts himself here in this next part of Scripture with shepherds for money. In every age, this happens. Shepherds shepherding people for money. How vulgar it is. Uh, among the ancient Jews, some people kept their own flocks. So they hired shepherds to keep them for them. But the shepherds that they hired were always unreliable. Remember that. Hired shepherds are unreliable because they do the work for the wrong purpose. They do the work because somebody is paying them a salary or they're getting money for the work that they do. Uh, they may be good workers and they may earn their salary, but uh, a shepherd's position is not to be a position for money. It's to be a position that to protect and to nurture the sheep. That's, that's the goal. And so, uh, so he says, listen, there are a lot of people that you can hire, but when times get tough, what happens? They bail, right? When uh, things go wrong and go haywire, they, they move on. But a true shepherd will go so far as to lose his life for the sheep because he's doing it for the right purpose. Well, look at verse number 14. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by them. He knows the sheep, their needs. He knows the needs of all of his sheep. They need leadership. They need leadership. Many people don't have leadership. People need leadership, don't they? Uh, they need to hear the voice of God, of their shepherd. They need to hear the voice of the shepherd. They need to know the voice of the shepherd. They need to uh, have the best environment, nourishment. Uh, sheep need to be nourished. They need to be instructed. And then sheep need to feel the presence and the protection through the valleys of life. Yea, though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, David tells how he killed a lion and a bear while defending his father's flock. You know, being a shepherd is tough business. You know that? You have to have courage. Uh, but then, then Jesus, uh, after he, he does all of that, he, he does something really neat. Hmm. Verse 16. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring. Uh, Jesus here says, listen, I have some other sheep. And, and I want to get like, to the main point quickly. And the other sheep are, are you and me. We're the other sheep. And what he's referring to here is the Gentiles. Because the Pharisees thought that they were the only sheep. You know, they were the sheep. And so Jesus said, listen, I've got other sheep. Uh, I have which are not of this fold, not in your group. And the word fold there is so interesting to me because I looked it up and I found that it's translated in different ways in the New Testament. It's translated court palace hall. And so let's get the picture here. Jesus is standing 
somewhere in the temple area, in the inner court or the court of the people, and he's referring to the outer court because this is where the Gentiles were worshiping God, in the outer court. They weren't allowed into the inner court. And so the allusion to this is this, is the Lord is saying, listen, uh, I have other sheep I have which are not of this court. You might want to write that down. Which are not of this court, the inner court. They're in the outer court. There was this tremendous division back there in the temple area between the outer court and the inner court, and there were signs warning people, and I think we have those signs. There were signs that have been found, and let's go to the next page, that says this. Not one foreigner is to enter inside the barrier and embarkment around the sanctuary. He who is seized himself is responsible for the following, look, death penalty. And so the Gentiles were way out here, and the Jews said, listen, you go in there and you meet your maker quickly if you go into the inner court. And so Jesus is saying, listen, these people out there are also going to be in my fold. They're becoming a part of the family of God and the church of God. The middle wall of partition is broken down according to Ephesians. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of the Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first, but also to the Gentile, the Greek. Well, Jesus said, listen, you Pharisees are thieves and robbers. You come to abuse people. You come to take from people. I came to give my life for the sheep. I'm the true shepherd. He said, I am the door to safety and provision. Now, there's only one way into the flock of Christ, isn't there? And that's through Jesus Christ. You can't come to Christ through the, by the church, by baptism, by communion, by confirmation, by good works. There is only one way into the fold, and that's through the door. And Jesus said, I am the door. Come to me, come through me exclusively. Don't try to get in any other way because it won't work. You're not a true shepherd. He said, I'm the door and I'm the good shepherd. He watches out well for his sheep. You and I can sleep well knowing that he's watching the door. Um, Charles Spurgeon, the famous pastor from England, told a story one time about a group of Russians that were uh, riding on horses through the forest and the wolves were out and they were chasing the horses. They were rushing madly through the forest. And uh, they finally uh, came to a, a little hut, a little place that they could put the horses and the people in to protect themselves from these hordes of wolves that were coming after them. And they were just saved, as Spurgeon said, by the skin of their teeth. They just got inside this little hut and they could hear the, the wolves on the roof and they could hear them dashing against the sides of the hut and they could hear their gnarling at the door and howling and 
making all sorts of dismal noises. But uh, inside the hut, the travelers were safe because they had entered in by the door. And the door was shut. Now when a man comes to Christ, he said, he is in Christ. He can hear, as it were, the devils howling like wolves, all fierce and hungry for him, and his own sins like wolves, seeking to drag him down to destruction. But he is now in Christ, and he's in the shelter, and all the devils in the world cannot have him. Uh, Charles Spurgeon says, listen, when we're in there and the door is shut, we're safe. And aren't you happy of that today? We are safe in Christ. Uh, he is our guardian. He is, he is the door. He's at the door. Nobody comes through the door to get you. He's our guardian. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Jesus said, I am the door. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Uh, if you're here today and you've never come by way of Christ to God, I want to invite you to come that way today, the door. Uh, it's exclusive. It's the only way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right there in your seat where you sit today, you can reach out to him and come by the door. And accept him as your shepherd and let him lead you the rest of your life into green pastures to feed you, to nourish you, and to protect you. He's provided this for you, and he can do it because he's God. He said, listen, I am. That's who I am. I am the God of the Old Testament. And so let's just take a minute and reflect on, on Christ being the door and Christ being the good shepherd in our life. Let's follow him. He who follows me. And he gives his life for the sheep. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word and uh, how relevant and applicable it is for our life today. And as we uh, make our way away from the church today, I pray that uh, we will have in our mind's eye this visual that we are following you. We're listening for your voice in our life to be our guide. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the Lord's people said, Amen. Let's stand together, please. Turn around and shake hands with a few people before you leave the church this morning. God bless you.